Good morning, everybody. Good morning. My name is Nate, and um, I'm one of the pastors on staff at Hesed Community Church. So that's um, uh, northwest Detroit, Brightmore area, right by um, what? Yeah, Finkel and Outer Drive, five mile and Outer Drive, technically when it gets out, huh? So. We're near you, and many of you have supported us, and we really do thank you for that, so thank you. Um, we're going to do the message now. Um, we're going to ultimately get to the place that we were at the first service, but I just know, I just can feel it's got to be a little bit, we've got to attack it from a different perspective for this service, so I would rather do what I feel like the Holy Spirit in me pushing me to do than to ignore and then just do something out of my flesh. You know what I mean? Because it would be very easy for me to do the message that I had prepared, but I don't want to feel dirty afterward. This happened to me a couple of times. Some churches aren't um, as nice as you all, so when you send in your message and your message scripture, and your, they expect you to do that message. And they usually build a whole service around that theme. And I've been up front before, and I know I shouldn't do this message. I was like, oh no, Lord, what am I going to do? And I did the message anyway, and it went really good. Except that I felt dirty. So I would rather not feel dirty for the rest of the week. I want to feel clean before the Lord. Go to him with holy hands. Amen? So, we'll just go with it. I have to grab um, a couple concepts from um, some uh, presentation that we did here um, in the evening service, because you guys have evening service here too. So we touched on it really briefly there, but if you were there, well, we always learned in our education classes, repetition is the master teacher. So then just feel like you guys are doing it. Is that okay? All right, because oh, now one of the things that, um, that's really, really important for us to think about as believers is that um, I believe one of the things that makes us like the Lord, makes us like our God, is our imagination. Now, as an exercise um, in, our, in, our, in our neighborhood and in our ministry, we have been praying for, and we, pro- we might pray for it today, a sanctified imagination. Because I believe personally that imagination is neutral. It can be used for good, but it also can be used for evil. For example, have you ever made yourself mad by thinking about a situation that happened to you? Yeah, you can make yourself mad right now. Can't believe that dude said that, and then I should have said. So next time, I, all is that in your in your imagination, or you could be. Oh, you know what? When I get home, I am gonna play basketball with my son. You know what? I'm gonna even stop by and get a, a new basketball for him. With me. And all that's going on in your imagination. So your imagination is really neutral; can be used for good or for bad. And in this case, what I'm asking for us is uh, to pray and start to pray and continue to pray that we would have a sanctified imagination. 
imagination that has been made holy and useful to the Lord. And that, um, because one of the things that we realized in our our ministry there at Brightmoor is that all the things that we do there, everything that we've ever done there happened in our hearts and minds first. Yeah. We're like, you know what? We really need to get this place painted. And that happened all in our imagination first. We saw, okay, we can make it really bright white and then... We need to replace these floors. What kind of floors would be sweet? And all that stuff happens in our hearts and minds. And um, that's why I believe that we can use our imagination to see ourselves in a certain way. You okay with that? Because um, one of the things that, uh, that is really, really true, and we're going to read that here, right? And we're going to read in, in Mark, Mark chapter 5. And one of the things that you'll realize when we're looking at the life of Jesus is that Jesus is the ultimate revelation about who God is. Right? Okay. Because he said stuff like, um, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember Philip asked him, hey, how are we going to... I'd love to meet the Father. And he says, what are you talking you see me? You have seen the Father. Or uh, scriptures like in Hebrews 1 that talk about he perfectly represented the Father. He was an exact representation of the Father's being. So when you're looking at Jesus working in the earth, you're looking at what it would look like for God to live in the flesh. Amen? So in Mark chapter 5, your scripture reading for today is about a, a woman who has been bleeding and then a daughter who dies. Verse 21 in the English Standard Version says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your, fa- your, da- your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. 
Taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Now, you probably heard this story before. Uh, and and um, the thing that you can recognize from this story is the fact that Jesus has gained a reputation at this point, yes? Because what did she say? She said she had heard, she had heard reports, verse 27. She had heard reports about Jesus. And the synagogue ruler is the same way. He's, his, his daughter, is, his, the life is failing. He can see her, the life leaving her body. And in his heart and mind, well, he kind of actually said it. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and be alive. So here's people who have uh, heard about Jesus. Yeah? Good. Matthew 4. This is important stuff. The Bible is good. Don't you just love reading the Bible? Man. All right. Verse 12 says, Now when he had heard that John, they're talking about John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living, dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right? Ver what was it? Verse, Verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. So if you had a map of Israel, you would know that in the northern region of Israel, there is a, a region called Galilee. In Galilee, southern Galilee, there is a town or a village called Nazareth. Now, does anybody know where Jesus grew up? <laughs> I guess that is text. He grew up in Nazareth. All right. Now, this says right here, leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum. Now, they're both in the same region. They're both in Galilee. But if you were, uh, if you were to take it, let's say, let's say if you were using today's travel methods, you'd have to go about 20 miles 20, uh, northeast of Nazareth. So Jesus, this just said Jesus at some point after John the Baptist was put in prison, this just said he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum to fulfill what had been spoken through Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali. Oh, it says it right here. The way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Got it? Okay. It depends on what culture you're preaching to. Some, some cultures, you know this because they're like this. In our culture, they say yes and amen a lot. 
Yes, sir. Amen. Amen, Brother Nate. You're preaching now. <laughs> They'd be saying that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Mark chapter 2. Okay, just a little test. Where was Jesus living? He was living in Nazareth. Then he moved Capernaum. Now, the Bible doesn't say who he moved there with. The Bible doesn't say if he was renting. The Bible doesn't say if he lived with other people. It doesn't say any of that. It just said after John was put in prison, he moved to fulfill Isaiah, which said, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, by, whatever it said, the rest of that. <laughs> well, the other scripture. A people living in darkness have seen a great light. All right? So he moved to Capernaum, right? Look at verse 1 of Mark chapter 2. This is amazing. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. See now, and let me just take a little bit. When I was younger, I used to have this internal belief that Jesus didn't have a place to stay. Um, because Jesus said something similar. He said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So when I started searching it out and researching it, I found out that the context of it is actually the context of discipleship, where Jesus, someone came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, Son of Man has no place to rest his head. And he wasn't saying, I don't have a place to stay. He was saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be given up every right you have, including the right to have a place to put your head. So it was in the context of discipleship. But as a young believer, I just thought that meant Jesus didn't have a place to stay. But this just said when he came home. Because we just read in Matthew chapter 4, he moved from Nazareth to, to Capernaum. So let's read it. Now, okay, is your imagination already starting to perk up? Get this. This is exciting stuff. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered there together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came and bring him a parallel carried by four men. Da, 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 da. You can read it later. This is the same story of when they dug in through the roof, lowered this paralytic man. Jesus forgives his sins. They get mad. He says, well, to show you, I know how to, I have authority. Here, get up and walk. Paralyzed man walks out. Everybody praises God. That's the, that's the cliff notes. Now, isn't it interesting that it was Jesus' house that they did it to? Now, hopefully, he was owning, because if he was renting, <laughs> there's issues at hand. <laughs> but all I know is, it was at Jesus' home, because this just said, and it said when he came back to Capernaum, so many people gathered that there wasn't even any room at the door. Now, the thing that you've got to remember and realize is, now why would they jump out the door so hard, and how come, what's going, why are they making such a ruckus? Well, because his reputation is starting to spread all over. So-and-so has an auntie who is no longer sick. Why not? Well, you know that dude named Jesus? He healed her. Get out of here. Hey, how come, how come uh, Grandma so-and-so, how come she's getting, she's looking like she's getting along pretty good? You know what? She went and saw the dude named Jesus down the street. You'd be like, 
You talk about that 30-year-old looking dude? Yeah, him. And he got, what do you mean got healed? Uh-huh. She said, he said, you're healed. And she, and, and she doesn't limp anymore. But whatever is happening, now this is, okay, now here's the imagination exercise that you have to go through. And uh, I went through it. This, this started happening about four years ago. I was going on one of my prayer walks. When I'm walking past this house and the Holy Spirit whispers in my heart, what if Jesus lived right there? And didn't say anything to me for the whole rest of the walk. So I started thinking on it and thinking on it and thinking on it. And then I came to this scripture that I just read to you because maybe I had in, uh, internally started to think Jesus didn't have a place to stay. So I start thinking, yeah, what if Jesus did live right there? So I got people who were really good at imagining. I got my two girls. They were my two daughters. I said, hey. We're going to imagine this for real. I said, listen, here's the scripture. I read it to him and I said, what if Jesus lived in our neighborhood? Isn't that an interesting thought? I wonder, what if Jesus lived down the street at so-and-so's house? What would our neighborhood start to look like if Jesus moved in? Because some, at some point, 2,000 some years ago, maybe, there was a, 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 a group, a family, minding their own business when some dude moved in down the street. And it said it was in response to a scripture that talked about a great light dawning. Now, if Jesus moved into your neighborhood, guess what? That would be a great light. Well, my daughters are more imaginative in certain ways than myself. They take more liberties with their imagination. I'm more mature, <laughs> so I've learned how to cut back in my dreaming. My imagination has been impacted by disappointment. Now, <laughs> it can happen. It can happen. You used to dream real hard until you got your first job, and you're like, maybe as long as it had two bedrooms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now. I say to my daughters, now what would this look like? Now they start to come up with all kinds of amazing things. Like, hey, you know those, you know uh, so-and-so and so-and-so? There's some guys in our neighborhood who need some Jesus. And he said, uh, uh, I bet you they'd be good friends. It's like, friends with Jesus? Yeah, I bet, I bet. You know what, I bet they would. And I bet you Jesus would have a couple friends that you really doubted. You know what I mean? Jesus walks into Grace Ann Arbor to do the message, and he walks in with two people you know are messed up. You're like. <laughs> they said um, there might be like an, a, cameras, like news cameras. You know, like news vans. There might be some of the neighbors who were a little upset because the crowd was so big that they trampled the flowers next door. You're just losing, using our imagination, right? Now, this is important, and it was a great exercise, but as we started to see, okay, what would it look like if Jesus lived in our neighborhood? And you would, you would start to hear stories of, of the lady from, from, from your small group that had been bleeding for 12 years, now she's healed. You start to hear those kinds of stories. 
you would start to hear stories of a demoniac like you did last week who is so, who's so messed up they can't even chain this dude up anymore. And all of a sudden now he's in his right man, mind and he's preaching in the Decapolis. You're talking about that dude? Be like, yeah, he used to be really messed up. And as we're seeing, okay, what if Jesus lived in our neighborhood? The Holy Spirit yelled into our spirits, Jesus does live in your neighborhood. I said, well, now this is Galatians chapter 2. Just, just, just uh, hear this with faith in your heart, okay? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Hear this. Hey, okay, now, hold on. Did you just say, now, listen, Nate, I am committed to believing the word. All right, you, you said that in your heart? Because this, this is scripture. I'm just saying to you what the word says. Ready for this? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Guess what that sounds like? Jesus lives in your neighborhood. Jesus does live in your neighborhood. You just got to realize and recognize and start to, um, like, release the lion. You got to start to release the lion. And when, as, we, as we're praying about this and thinking about this, what is, what the... Uh, now we have a ministry house in the middle of a really violent neighborhood in Detroit's northwest side. But in our hearts, what we're trying to see is, if Jesus lived in this, in this little house right here, what would our neighborhood look like? Could people come over and ask Jesus to borrow his dish towels? I'm sure they could, but I'm guaranteeing you this, that people who were messed up wouldn't be messed up anymore. There would be people who everybody thought was crazy, and as soon as you dealt with the demon that was messing them up, they'd be in their right minds. We read that last week here. The thing of it is, we have used our imagination negatively, particularly when it comes to our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Realize that union with Christ is the gospel message to the degree that Jesus can look at his disciples with sincerity and say, I'm expecting that you would do the same things that I've been doing and greater than that because I'm going back to the Father. And he was very sincere, not because he was leaving you without power. He gave you the Holy Spirit and said, listen, love everybody with this power. So then, what do you have to do? Here's your homework now because now... We have said Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is, but as you start to study the scriptures and study the gospel message, you realize Jesus is the ultimate revelation about who we are. So when you're seeing Jesus walk down the street and someone touches him and he says, who just touched me? In your imagination time, you should see yourself walking down the street. As people coming to peace and wholeness, you should see yourself coming into the house of places whose daughter, 12 years old, has just died, and walking into the place and saying, hey, you get all these mourners out of here, we got some stuff to do, and laying hands on her and Little girl, rise up. Get her something to eat. Don't tell anybody. You should, 
Because when you're looking at Jesus, you're not just looking to see what should I believe. You're looking at Jesus to say, how should I be in this world? That's not easy because as you imagine, you have been impacted by disappointment. You have been impacted by times where it didn't seem like God came through. But I'm telling you right now that faith gives substance to things hoped for. Your hopes in your hearts and your dreams in your hearts, that's the stuff that faith jumps onto to give substance to. So when you're in there doubting and full of unbelief, get rid of that. Get back into your word and start reading scriptures that talk about your real union with Christ. The fact that you have been baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection. That in you, he is expecting that you would do the same things that he does. And guess what? I feel like what you really should do as homework is go home today and start to imagine what it would look like if Jesus lived in your neighborhood. And then start to imagine what if I was with Jesus when he was living in my neighborhood. And then sit in there and watch Jesus getting ready to pray for someone and turn to you and say, hey, little lady, about what would you take this one? Oh, wouldn't that be a really fun exercise? This is more real than you would ever know. sanctified imagination that starts to see that you have been made one with Christ and that you no longer live but Christ lives in you and that the life that you now live in the flesh you live by faith in the son of God who loved you and gave himself for you and you can meditate on that and meditate on that and meditate on that and see how Jesus dealt so carefully with the hurting and broken and how he was unafraid of any situation and how he would go into some of the worst situations ever and see it completely transformed and turn around for the glory of God. Okay, now listen, I'm going to make this story so fast. If you're here as a guest, listen, I apologize. It's not Song's fault or John or Nate's fault. <laughs> listen, we're in the middle of one of the worst situations with one of our house supervisors. She was not allowed to see her kids. She had been sold into the sex trade business by her own family. She got back and she started to get back into her right mind, but her kids are not allowed to see her. She actually had to bribe her own aunt in order to be able to spend time with her own kids. Got it? So she was she is in a messed up situation. She is distraught. She finally gets the aunt to come over again. She said, I got $30. I want to come over. Okay, so she go over to the aunt's house. The aunt is getting up out of the chair. And, oh, oh, my back is hurting so bad. And her husband said, oh, lay hands on her and heal her. She's like, this person who has sold me in the sex slave, who has, who, who has allowed me to be beaten, who has allowed me to be, you what? Because <laughs> she'll allow her to come over for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes at a time if she brings money to see her kids. Her aunt, her own aunt. So she finally says, okay. So she goes over and says, uh, aunt so-and-so, can I pray for you? And aunt is like, make it quick. Well, I just pray, Father, you'll heal her back. And the aunt says, oh, what? Oh, why? Wow. What did you do? Huh? What did you do? Oh, oh, okay. So they leave out. The aunt calls her back. 
the very next day and said, what was it that you did to me? She said, nothing, we were just praying for you. She said, my back is even better than when you left. Listen, if you wanna come over and get the kids, you can spend the whole day with them. We're talking about if you had all the power of heaven to love people with, what would you do? But the gospel message is you have all of the power of heaven at your disposal to love people with. What are you trying and attempting in your own life? And that's been the imagination exercise that we continue to press ourselves with in Detroit because we really do believe, yes, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is, but we believe just as firmly Jesus is the ultimate revelation about who we are. And we're reading scriptures, looking into them to see how should we then act in this world. Because I want to see. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, were, we were talking about, we were talking about uh, <laughs> what, what Jesus could do as miracles. <laughs> and one of the little kids that we were doing it with said, do you think, <laughs> do you think that God could grow somebody's teeth back? And I said, I had realized that my imagination had peaked. Do you know what I mean? I never thought about that. I've been thinking about it ever since because I was like, now that I'm starting to lose my hair, I wonder. <laughs> Can you imagine the rumors, the, 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 the news flashes everywhere? If someone comes back to church the next week with a full set of real teeth, <laughs> they wouldn't be talking about the murders that happened in Detroit. They'd be talking about, there's a Jesus in Brightmore that's doing anything. <laughs> that's the kind of God that I want to serve. Oh, oh. And I really hope that you all want to serve that kind of God too, but that you will want to become that kind of bride. So, Father, would you please come and wash our imaginations clean and get rid of all those, uh, I guess they're limits, Lord. We have regularly been limiting you, even in our imagination, on what you can do. God, right now, I have a cousin that I've been praying for and I've just been praying some pretty mediocre prayers. Even right now I can tell that I haven't been believing that they could be everything you created them to be. My imagination has been impacted. I ask that you will forgive me, but God give us a sanctified imagination. Press your church. Don't allow us to settle for anything less than all you are. And years from now, when we're looking at each other across that great banquet table, we're going to laugh and laugh and laugh at how many amazing, stunning miracles that you did through us. Love the world through us, Lord, and convince us of the power that is in us to love the world like you did. Thank you, Lord, for your glory, for your glory, Lord.